0: You are listening to episode 95 of the Tennis Files podcast. Tennis Summit Preview Sessions with Paul Anacone, Edgar Giffenig, and Brady
1: Height. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at Newbalance.com.
2: Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Maribon Iranshad.
0: Hey everybody, welcome to episode 95 of the Tennis Files Podcast. I hope that you're doing really well, practicing your tennis game, finding ways to improve every single day. And uh, as you all probably know, I've been super duper busy with planning, prepping, and uh, just educating everybody about Tennis Summit 2019. And so as you can imagine, I probably have been devoting like 99% of my time to this event, which, uh, you know, it's been a A lot of fun and so I haven't been interviewing many players lately or anything for the podcast. I've done some uh, solo episodes and I've also done a preview episode of the Summit last week and I want to continue that just to show you all some great content. Uh, th- I think you'll really benefit from it and to also just give you another taste of the Summit sessions because there are over 30 of them and so I previewed four yes uh, last week, not yesterday, last week and this week I have three Sessions from some fantastic people in the tennis world, and the first is from Paul Anacone, and he is a legendary coach of Roger Federer, Pete Sampras, Tim Henman, and Sloan Stevens, among many others, and you'll hear a funny story about uh, how I saw him last year, and my thoughts, and uh, what actually happened, so uh, really one of my favorite people in the tennis world, you've seen him on TV a lot of times, so many times, is commentating on some of the biggest matches on tour. And, um, so he's a, he's a great person and I really appreciate him being on the summit. Uh, the second individual is Edgar Giffenig, who is going to give you, um, some practical advice to improve your game. And, uh, he is the founder of Giffenig Tennis and he has worked in, uh, several major academies and was a national coach for the USA, Germany, and Mexico, So great person to have on the summit as well. And then we have Brady Height, who is the head tennis professional at Top Seed Tennis Academy and also has a fantastic online platform a Daily Tennis Lesson. And by the way, Brady's going to talk about uh, short forehands. And so before I get into those sessions, I just want to give a quick shout out to my friend Eric Spangler, who I guess I can say his last name because his info is public and that (laughs) he is the coach of Gautramans Tennis, fantastic college located here in Maryland and giving them a shout out. Well, first off, because a couple of weeks ago I played a great doubles match with Eric. A 5-0 match, and we won and did really well. But also, probably even more importantly, because it affects more people, is that Goucher College actually, uh, their their men's team won uh, their conference tournament, and so they're going to the NCAAs this Wednesday. I was just texting with Eric, and uh, just a great guy, a great tennis mind. I think one of the youngest coaches, uh, college tennis coaches I've ever seen. Also has dashing looks, by the way. He actually uh his opponents said they had an easy overhead and they actually didn't hit him and uh, during our match and then they said oh he's too good looking to hit so um you know I've never got that compliment so I'm a little jealous there eric but in any case best of luck uh, of luck to <laughs> that's a not a plural word best of luck to eric and gaucherman's tennis uh, go forth and conquer yeah and also um i just really encourage you all to check out the summit, and you can check it out at tennisfilessummit.com and also tennisfiles.com slash summit. So I just set up those two links. So you can choose either one and the links will be in the show notes at tennisfiles.com slash 95. I'm really excited about it. We've already had several thousands of people sign up. I mean, every time this happens, I just can't really believe it because I, you know, when I set it up, I always have this nervousness that no one's going to sign up, but thousands have. And I've gotten so many emails from you all about the Summit and just telling me the number one pain point in your game. And we're going to have several live Q&A's so you can come hop on these live Q&A's with me, with uh, Peter Freeman from Crunch Time Coaching, and my he's a good friend, and also my good friend and hitting partner Will Hamilton from Fuzzy Yellow Balls, two of the greatest in the game right now as far as coaching, especially online, so come on to those and ask us your questions, and so anyways, um, I know I've blabbered on about the summit, um, but uh, you know, to transition, I'm going going to now introduce you to the first session, a preview session for today uh, on today's podcast. And that's with Paul Anacone. And it's on the top winning single strategies used by Grand Slam champions. And I think you'll really enjoy it. And without further ado, here it is. Great pleasure to have you on the Summit again. Thanks so much for your time. Oh, thanks for having me. Always look forward to it. Thanks, Paul. Really appreciate it. And I like to tell my friends, because obviously you're you know, a famous guy and uh, really big in the tennis world, uh, I actually remember seeing you, Paul, at the City Open Media tent. And to be honest, when I saw you walk in, I thought to myself, oh, I, you probably won't recognize me. But you actually, you called me up by name perfectly, I might add. I don't have the easiest name and uh, <laughs> just, just very impressed. You know, part of the whole uh, why everyone loves you. So I uh, really appreciate that. And uh, today we're going to talk about, as I mentioned, single strategies to help everybody with their game. And Paul, uh, if you don't mind, I want to open up with a quote from your book, actually. And you wrote that the world of tennis is a world of strategy structured by concerted planning, which serves as a roadmap for achieving goals. Having a long term objective as well as a series of short term plans is vital. And so, Paul, I was wondering if if you could dive a little deeper into this concept, and perhaps give us give us an example of how an amateur player would set both a long term objective and then a series of short term plans to achieve that particular objective.
3: Yeah, I think we're about one of the biggest problems with most players, and it's club players too, is that we kind of get hung up on the immediacy of um, you know our daily matches or or this tournament or this club match this weekend, and when you do that, I think. Think you really kind of circumvent uh, the process of giving yourself a good long-term plan and a big picture to try to help you kind of march more towards um, your potential, whatever that potential is. And that's why I think um, you know a lot of the stuff in my book really isn't even so much about um, achieving greatness; it's about maximizing potential. And one of the things that kind of resonated with me in my career coaching Pete and uh, Roger and Tim and and my time with Sloan as well is that. Those players that achieve great things tend to figure out how to manage adversity and how to be pragmatic in times of great emotion. And also, they never seem to lose focus on the big picture. Um, You know, I can remember vividly Pete losing at the French Open um, and being really disappointed, yet also being able to snap back pretty quickly realizing that Wimbledon's around the corner. Um, and, and so I think, you know, one of the things that I would kind of harp on from the quote that you mentioned is that, you know, set up a process so that you do have short-term goals. You have a short-term goal and a short-term plan, and it can be result-oriented, it can be process-oriented, whatever. But at the end of the day, you want it to be, you know, in stride with your long-term plans and your big picture scenario. And I think that's really important. Um, what happens to to most of us uh, in life is that you know when we get sidetracked in our short-term plans, we hit the panic button. Um, we start to second-guess things. We wonder if we're on the right path. And and that doesn't mean don't ever think of ad- adapting and adjusting. What it does mean is don't always think of adapting and adjusting. And a lot of people tend to hit that panic button and right away start changing things. So set up your plans short-term, uh, your short-term goals, things you want to achieve. More importantly, the way you want to achieve it, and then continue evaluating and monitoring, and make sure that it's in line with what you want to do down the road. Because um, things can happen when you're clear and you're committed and confident in what you're doing.
0: Great stuff as always, Paul. And are there any examples that maybe you've even had players uh, have in regards to uh, long, long-term objectives where they've actually set a bad, you know, long-term objective? Like, is there a difference or an optimal type of objective that we should be setting?
3: I mean, that's a great question. And one of the challenges is, I think you have to match it up with your personality. Um, some people like result orientation. Uh, Pete Sampras was great at that. He, he he was one of these the rare few that he could set up things where it was result oriented, but not put so much pressure on himself that he didn't execute. Um, Roger Federer likes the entire process. He likes to pro- He likes to practice. He likes to train. He likes to travel. So you know you have to figure out what motivates you. Number one, and what dynamics you can set up that kind of meets your individual needs without putting so much emphasis on an individual desire to achieve something that you kind of don't paralyze yourself with too much perceived expectation or the dreaded what if you know what if that this happens or doesn't happen so you know I I, I think a lot of it is um, really knowing yourself and I you know I can't really think I can't really think uh, of an individual situation where that happened because the players that I would was with were so good at kind of setting up a structure that kind of mirrored what they wanted to do. Doesn't mean they always achieved it, but they knew what they wanted to do and how they were going to get there. And I think that that's, that's kind of the, the note to self. That's the takeaway. Um, set up that process that matches your personality. Give yourself a chance with a bunch of short, short-term short things to meet the, long, uh, the long-term um,
0: desires. Great stuff, Paul. So now narrowing it down a bit, I was wondering if you could maybe give us uh, an inside scoop, if you will, on the process that you generally uh, went through with your players in uh, in creating uh, particular strategies or game plans against your opponents were there any commonalities with your players that you know as far as process that you went through?
3: Yeah, I mean everybody does things a little differently, right? I mean we all like to plan and strategize a little differently. Uh, Pete Sampras liked things pretty concise, pretty short, and pretty clear. Uh, Roger and Tim both like to talk about things. Um, they like to sit down. Uh, Roger and I, uh, for a period of time, you know, would look at video and look at different patterns and video that were successful against certain players. Um, But the one thing that was really common um, about all the players that I coached and also kind of what my philosophy is um, with these players is, you know, the simple theme is how do you do what you do best and point it towards your opponent's weaknesses? Mm -hmm. And when you set up the dynamic of a conversation like that, it's pretty clear about how you want to start the conversation, because then um, you know most players know what they do best, and then when you talk about the opponent's weaknesses, then you can talk about point structure and ways to attack those weaknesses.
0: Good stuff, Paul. And um, I, I think, at least from the amateur player point of view, and, and this is geared more towards uh, the pro game now for a second, at least. Uh, sometimes when you watch the pros, it seems like there are no weaknesses. So <laughs> when you have a player who's that you're coaching who's playing against a uh, Fantastic player. Is there always some sort of weakness or something that you can go towards, uh, you know, uh, attack? Yeah,
3: usually. I mean, look, there's every, no player's perfect. You know, uh, you look at uh, look at Roger. You know, historically, the people, Rafa Nadal, like to attack Roger's backhand with his lefty forehand. You know, Rafa Nadal, you know, one of the greatest of all time. You know, you have to find ways to attack his serve because if you let the point start, then he gets really offensive. Novak Djokovic. Is isn't a great server, so you have to find ways to pressure his second serve. Um, so everybody at every level has something that they have a little bit uh of a weakness on and you just have to figure out how to plug that in. Um, but you're right, I mean the pro level, look, that's why they're pros, right? There's not gonna be many glaring things that go wrong, but you still you're talking about narrow margins and you're talking about opportunities to exploit, you know, players with just minimal gaps. So you just have to figure out how to do that.
0: And I really appreciate you pointing that out, Paul, because I you know I play a bunch of u s a leagues and sometimes tournaments, and sometimes I hear my fellow players uh, who they have to face somebody very good, they just say, "Oh, he has no weaknesses like i don 't know what to do but it's just ta- it 's a matter of i think just really thinking deep clear and clearly in analyzing uh, the game uh, instead of kind of giving up there. But uh, appreciate that, Paul. And now just a, a couple of general, so general strategies, are there a couple either general strategies or big concepts that you would advise amateur players to incorporate so that they can be successful or have a good sure. start in the matches?
3: Sure. I mean, that's a good question. And you know, one of the themes that I think works across the board, doesn't matter what your level is, is just kind of, um, The ability to stay committed to a point for point mentality. So, how disciplined can you be pre point time and time again to be ready to play the next point? And that goes right into our thoughts about small term, I mean, short term planning and goals is that you want to make sure that you are ready to play each point like it's match point and it's your last point. And if you can set that up as a habit, what tends to happen is you start to make less unforced errors. um, And the errors that you do make tend to be executed execution errors versus shot selection errors now execution errors are just a matter of picking the right shot and missing the ball and i always opt for those because if you're playing the right shots that means you're going to get better at doing the right things in the big moments and you're going to miss less if you start to make bad decisions and miss shots then you have to do double education first it was a bad decision why was it a bad decision second you missed the shot what did you do wrong technically with the shot so the more you can simplify it and make the good decisions and and make the evaluations about the decision making, and the more you can focus on that point for point mentality, regardless of what your level is, you're going to maximize your skill set.
0: stuff, Paul, and do you have any tips for us on how to focus more on that point for point mentality? Because I suppose you know sometimes some players will try it and then they'll stray away from it. And so, if you have any advice on that, that would be. Great.
3: I mean, it's just like you know, it's kind of like everything else in life, right? You want to Pre point routine that's pretty similar. You know, try to make sure when you get up to the line and you're serving, you know, you bounce the ball the same amount of times. You have an idea in your mind what you want to do at this point. Serve wide, hit the first ball to the open court, serve and volley at the body. Whatever it is, have that theme in mind and try to repeat that kind of pre serve routine every time because then you're giving yourself a very programmed um, habit and, and a good one because that'll give you focus on how you want to play. Um, so I, I think the idea is try to make things, uh, habit forming, good habit forming, want to make things simple and clear in your mind about what you're trying to do. Um, and then you want to make sure you have a clear picture of it in your mind before you step up to the line.
0: All right. I really hope you enjoyed that session from Paul, that preview. And, um, you know, if you're excited about it and you want to hear more, uh, there's it's just very easy, you know, just go to tennis files, com. Or tennisfiles.com/slash/summit. Either one, and sign up for free. You can watch Paul's video and all the videos there, thirty plus for free. And you can even get—you you—you will get a free kick of course from my friend Peter Freeman. So I mean, just ridiculous for signing up for free. You already get a free course, and you get to watch thirty plus videos, which is sick, in my opinion. So, anyways, uh, and sick being good for those of you not in the slang world. Uh, with your proper English. (laughs) Um, So anyways, um, without further ado, here is my interview with Edgar Giffenig on practical advice to improve every aspect of your game. The first question I want to ask you, uh, you know, today you're going to cover uh, practical advice to improve every aspect of our games. And I want to ask you, what do you mean by practical advice? And why is that uh, particularly important in the, in the context of uh, what you're going to show us in for our games?
4: Well, I've been involved in tennis for 50 years, basically. And uh, first and foremost, I'm a tennis player. So I, I really like to play. And that's why I got involved in it. And that's why I'm coaching. And uh, I have a passion for the game. And everything I do is from a practical perspective. That means I, although I, I studied exercise physiology and uh, know the science of the game, uh, it doesn't really help a player if I explain why the way that I'm, I'm telling him to, to do it works in ter- terms of the theory. The players want something simple that they can just try and that it will work work and that's exactly what the practical aspect is it's it's information that you can just take right away go to the court the next day and try it out and you will see that it works
0: yeah i love that edgar because um like you mentioned you know we we just want things simplified we need coaches who are able to just communicate exactly what we need instead of you know if you oversaturate uh, us players and we won't be able to really understand and and then to be effective and we might get flustered and things like that so i uh, definitely appreciate that and uh just want to ask you too, uh, what you have in store for us for this presentation.
4: This presentation is really based on a book that I just uh, released that it's called Play Tennis with Passion. And the idea of this book was really to help the average player improve. I think a lot of times the player uh, start playing tennis and uh, just maybe take a couple of lessons, maybe experiment a little bit. And then they get to the level where they can play with uh, somebody else and then they usually play a lot of matches and they keep improving but it gets to a point where they just don't improve. So they they hit a plateau and the, the, a lot of players are frustrated because they just kept, the, I mean, they, they're not improving as they were at the beginning and so they need something else to try that's, that's going to really take them to the next level. And the, in, in this book, what I do is I try to be a bit more specific on goals that the players can work on to really improve improve their games. And so it's basically, I have divided this presentation in 10 parts. And each part is what I call a performance determining factor. That means a, a specific skill that is part of the reason why you are at a certain level. That means uh, the actual level of play that you have at this moment, it's an average of your ability in these 10 essential skills that i pre- present so normally we look at the game as okay technical aspect the tactical aspect the mental aspect the physical aspect Uh, but it's to me it's not very specific so what is it i'm going to work on my technique what what does that mean specifically and so for instance my my skills that you have to focus on are consistency for instance so that is Straightforward. If I am able to be more consistent with my game, my whole game is going to improve. Precision. If I'm able to hit more precisely, my whole game is going to improve. My footwork. If I'm able to get to the ball, more balls or to get to the ball in balance, same thing. It's going to have an effect on my whole game. And so my presentation is about these 10 specific performance, uh, performance factors that actually average to your actual level of play at this moment. And it's very easy to say, okay, let's analyze my game. So what, what would be the, the element that I would need to work uh, to have the greatest impact on my game? So maybe I can do everything more or less good, but my ball speed, that's a problem. I would like to, to hit the ball harder. So I can just focus on ball speed and uh, really work on that. And that is going to have an impact on my whole game. So for each of of these factors, what I'm doing in the presentations, I'm just giving a couple of examples of practical things that anybody can do to improve those specific aspects of the game. In the book, there's a lot of information and uh, a lot of uh, ideas. And that's that's basically what, I, what I'm what i doing. I'm just throwing ideas out of you. Okay, you want to improve your, your consistency? Okay, here are 10 things that you can do to work on your consistency. And that's, that's basically the, the way it's structured and in the presentation. Obviously, uh, we don't have that much time. So I try to do as much as possible and give you as much practical information as possible in one hour so that you can go to the court tomorrow and try it out. And these are things that have worked for me uh, that I have tried for many, many years and they work. So I'm confident in everything that I'm telling you.
0: Awesome, Edgar. And I'm also (laughs) very confident too, because I've seen your work. I mean, like I said, you you had a fantastic presentation that a lot of people love. Loved, uh, on the tennis technique summit and uh, you did a great job with the book as well. I, I've seen it and uh, yeah, I'm really excited. So uh, with that, Edgar, I, I think it'll be a, a good time to transition to the presentation.
4: So uh, here we go. Hey guys, Edgar Giffenick here. Let me help you improve your game. The objective of this presentation is to give you practical ideas to improve your game. Something that you can take, go on the court and try it out right away. I will will also like to give you a more effective way to look at your game. Normally when we talk about improving tennis, we talk about improving technique, improving your tactic, improving the mental game, improving the physical game. But that is a little bit broad. What I'd like to do, I'd like to talk to you about performance determining factors. That means skills that you can specifically target that will eventually lead to better performance. I have come up with this uh, scheme about tennis playing and I've come up with 10 performance determining factors that are are basically uh, determining your level of play at the moment. So, for instance, consistency, precision, footwork, perception and anticipation, variation, spin, ball speed, camouflage, mental skill, decision-making. These are very specific skills that you can target. And the average of your ability in each of these skills is basically going to give you your actual level of play. That means if I am improve any of these skills my level of play will automatically increase as well. So my presentation is divided in 10 parts and each part is going to tackle one of these aspects and I'm going to give you one specific idea how to improve each one of these performance determining factors. So let's get going. Let's start with consistency. Basically the more consistent you are as a player the better you're going to be. That is clear. If I make mistakes, if I'm all over the place, I am not going to be as good of a player. So let's take a look at consistency. The first and most important thing about consistency is that you have to know your game. Most players believe that they're better than what they actually are. And so what happens is that they're playing a game and they're trying shots that they really cannot control. And so they make a lot of mistakes. In tennis, the winner of the game is the one that gets more balls in the court. It doesn't matter how hard you hit the ball. If it's not in the court, it doesn't count. So you have to make sure that you play within your game. What does that mean? That you're playing the shots that you can control at a speed that you can control. It's like in a casino. You want to play the odds. You want to hit those shots that you know you're going to make. And if in your mind you think that you can make shots that are much harder or more difficult, you're going to be making a lot of mistakes and you're gonna get frustrated in order to know your game here's an easy way that you can start you go on the court and you hit five balls at a very slow pace so that means you have to make all of these five shots every at the end of every set of five you start hitting a little bit harder for the next five shots and then a little bit harder for the next five shots the moment you start missing you're gonna realize okay at this speed that's when i start losing control That is a very good exercise for you to start understanding what your game is. The more you do these types of exercises at the net in the back with all your strokes the better idea you're gonna have on okay at what speed and what kind of shots i can really control the next part of consistency is really watching the ball to me watching the ball is one of the most basic skills in tennis most important skills in tennis and it's something that we keep hearing over and over and over but i still believe that 50 percent of the mistakes on the court are because people don't know exactly
0: All right. I really hope you enjoyed that preview with Edgar. And uh, now I want to introduce you to a preview of a session with Brady Height on a blueprint for punishing short forehands. And I know at the end, there's a, there's some references to the video because obviously there's video <laughs> in the session of Brady hitting. So, um, you know, you can imagine that we're referring to one. So it might be a little weird on audio, but I don't think it's, it, it's not for very long. So in any case, a very good Good session, and I hope you enjoy this preview with Brady on the blueprint for punishing short forehands. I really think a lot of people actually do have trouble, from what I've seen in, in uh, amateur club matches and even tournaments, they have trouble fully taking advantage of the short ball on the forehand side. I mean, this is a, this is a stroke that you should be able to really uh, put your opponent on the defensive and either set up a very easy volley or no volley, hopefully. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. And so, I mean, if you want to learn how to do this uh, technically and, and uh, strategically, et cetera, then you want to just kick back, um, break out your notepad and pen or, you know, feather pen, whatever you want. And uh, take some notes. Uh, with, you
2: know, if you're old school, Maribond, you're breaking out a feather pen.
0: Yeah. Old school or really cool. I actually, exactly. I... I I'm thinking of getting one. We'll we'll see. Uh, But, you know, actually the first thing I think that's really important, Brady, is to actually kind of define what a short ball is, because I think, you know, some people may have different ideas of like the, you know, what, when we should attack, like they don't know like when to take advantage of these shots. So can you tell us what in your mind is a short ball?
2: Yeah. So really good question. First off, I I run into a lot of players that think that their short ball is going to occur at like right at the service line. So they're, you know, in this mindset that if it's not really drawing them significantly inside the baseline, that it's still just kind of a standard ground stroke. So to me, the the recognition that you've even gone just one step inside the baseline, that means your opponent's shot lacked some type of depth. And the fact that it even pulls you forward a step is now a shot where we should be taking advantage of cutting down on their reaction time number one. That's a huge thing for me. It's not always that, you know, punishing a a slower, shorter ball has to be, all right, let me flash full power. It's really just step up, take time away from your opponent, which would not occur, you know, if you, if you hang back and only looking to go in, you know, halfway up the court. So players starting to recognize that one, two steps inside the baseline, that is a, a short ball that offense should be the name of the game there. So that, and then, yeah, like you said, you know, hopefully there's no volley. A lot of times I think that, you know, when it is light short players come up um, you know they massage the ball a little too much you know this idea of punishing it uh hitting to a corner you know upping that level of pace is is really key because players get a little nervous they're like oh I don't maybe want to go to the net so now that kind of infects the the short ball where they just pop it over and then they're retreating back so it's it's recognition you've got a big space in front of you one step or five step you're you're really looking to you know take time away number one and then obviously that works punish is key. You don't want to get up there and just hit a hit a standard ground stroke.
0: Great stuff, Brady. And before we kind of show some fantastic video from uh, Brady's channel, actually, Daily Tennis Lessons, uh, I want to ask you, Brady, too, um, what are a few mistakes that you view when you're with your students uh, or, you know, watching matches that, that people are making on these short balls?
2: Yeah. So the, the first is letting the ball drop too low. OK, if, if you can get up to a ball, you know, that's relatively shorter than any standard ground stroke, but you let it come down. You know, so many players are, are very comfortable hitting the ball around waist level, right? But the, the opportunity to really take time away and have built-in net clearance because you step up and take the ball closer to shoulder height, I cannot stress that enough. People have to break out of that comfort zone of letting the ball drop down, hitting from waist level, because the idea there is they have to hit the ball up and over the net. and why. While there's maybe comfortability in that for a lot of players, you're not seizing that opportunity to really drive the ball through the court. The fact that it has to arc up and then over the net, again, is is kind of a time waster. It's allowing your opponent just maybe that one extra step to get to the ball. So the big mistake to me is letting the ball drop low and then kind of back to that idea of you know not really being aggressive enough. And that could be, honestly, footwork. You, know, you see a lot of the pros, when they step up to this ball that we're going to look at they're getting off the ground and they're attacking the tennis ball initially with their legs really exploding up to it to allow more comfortability on a ball that's closer to shoulder height where if you move up to that and you're just thinking about putting the racket on the ball not driving with the legs now that's kind of a big reason why a shoulder height contact point isn't very comfortable because the body's a little bit stiff racket speed's not generated you know the way it could be if the legs really load and so then again wasted chances when you're Stepping up inside the court, so be very careful about how low we're letting the ball drop, and then not initiating with the legs to really drive up and into the ball.
0: Yeah, I love that, Brady. And this is, um, you know, kind of related, but my doubles partner uh, Victor and I, we were playing some matches, and then we watched the video afterwards, and uh, you know, was pointed out that you know there were some spots where you know I could have taken a more aggressive stance further into the court while at the net, and it's very important because you know you feel the difference um, if you're more aggressive then you can cut off the ball um, farther in the court, take away the time. Uh, it's really, you know, the, it's it's really important that you, uh,
2: you know, yeah, take I mean, consideration this. So so many players, I think, are so focused on themselves and what, hey, what do I have to do to hit this shot? Well, they're not thinking enough about what you said is, hey, what's my opponent dealing with here? You know, the fact that I'm stepping up and not allowing them time to get comfortable is huge. And that's, that's why that shot should not be super stressful. It should be stressful on your opponent because... Because, you know, they're they're dealing with significantly less time. By the way, who's filming your tennis matches? Are you at some high level now where all your doubles matches get filmed?
0: Uh, I actually just uh, selfie myself. So I, oh, I, God. I'm God. kidding. No, Perfect. I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. No, uh, actually, we're very fortunate to have a play site at a couple of our tennis clubs around here. Oh, cool. Yeah. So it's great. You just put in your email uh, address, password, and then oh, it awesome. it for you. So uh, play site, send me I'm a check, check that out that. Out. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Exactly.
4: Uh, <laughs> exactly. Maybe you need yeah. to do play site.
0: Yeah and brady and brady as well half and half uh yeah so it's it's pretty cool but uh you know and and if you know of course if you can't like on on occasion which i need to do more so like i'll put a, um, a camera on a tripod like you're very used to doing but, videos,
2: yeah uh, absolutely as
0: long as you don't knock it down but um yeah so appreciate that brady so now i want to um share a fantastic video that I think you all should check out as well called uh, Midcourt Forehand Punish Slow Balls on Daily Tennis Lesson, uh, the, the YouTube channel. So let me just try to figure out once again how to share. All right, wonderful. Uh, nice resolution
2: that too. Fellow right there.
0: Yeah, yeah. Forget his name. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, awesome. Let, let us, uh, let, let me share this and then we'll kind of go through it. So I think you're going to be hitting a short ball pretty soon and uh, yeah,
2: thank Kid, right about the thirty-second mark. Yes, here we go. All right, so let him have a look at that first. You know, and obviously every everybody would like to see their opponent. You know, obviously stretch out like Mark there, and you know, hopefully have this thing either go for a winner or have the have the guy miss. But you know, again, rec- recognition number one is he. I can't I can't stress that enough. I obviously am in a position here where I know that hey, this is the shot we're focused on. But if I'm if I'm in a match, I'm like. So so eager and aware of when this ball is coming, and that's you know obviously a, a learned trait. It's a shot I love to hit, so I'm I'm always kind of like, all right, where's my short ball? Where's my short ball? But at the club level, you know that that recognition is so key because it's not so tangible, right? It's not anything where you can say, hey, go right now. You don't have a coach standing next to you. It's got to be that you see the ball come off the opponent's racket with just a little less of whatever, little less depth, little less pace, and okay, okay, so every shot I've been hitting has been three feet behind the baseline. Oh wait, that looks like it might pull me in, you know, one step inside the baseline, four steps in. Anything that draws you forward from your standard ready position, um, you've got to be really keen to get going forward. So that's number one to me. Not anything you see on the screen here because, you know, obviously it's a fed ball, but recognition number one. And then obviously, you know, that wide base with the legs. Like, like I was saying, we want to attack this shot with the legs. It's going to put less pressure on the stroke itself so there's that wide base I'm obviously tall so my my feet get apart a little maybe wider than most Um, but obviously I'm in a position there kind of like a I was always taught get in in that feeling that a a sprinter would have where you're on the balls of the feet everything about my position right there kind of screams out hey I'm going to push off and go forward where players that really are comfortable behind the baseline might be in a similar spot to that looking to go in they might maybe have recognized to go forward but they're maybe more evenly balanced on their feet or even worse a little bit on the heels and now that that idea of attacking with the feet isn't going to be there for them so you you want to have the balls of the feet you can see air underneath my heels there that's I I like to tell people that a lot don't let those heels touch the ground when you're getting getting that nice push forward that's going to get that uh, that initial kind of power move which is driving with the legs up to the ball you know kind of engaged
0: perfect Brady and then so I love this step-by-step here and uh, anticipation is the first uh, you know kind of uh, pillar of it and then so you know once you you do the split step like I just want to go like step by step so which leg do you want to push off from because I know sometimes players are you get confused with the footwork and stuff so like what what leg is is
2: activating the yeah so I, I'm obviously going to be taking that right leg you so important Maribon, that people get themselves outside the middle of the court like a lot of times players see a ball forward in front of them and their thought is okay let me get going forward. But it's that idea doesn't create space to the side of the tennis ball. Obviously, the swing can occur directly in front of my body. So players that initially go directly forward, a lot of times get to the ball in plenty of time, but then they're jammed up on their stroke. So I'm always looking, obviously, in this position to take a forehand. Um, so as a right-handed player, I'm trying to get that right leg over into the ad side of my court so that I initially create base. And once that space is built in... There's the right foot coming across. Okay, so if you hold it right there, Maribon, now the ball coming right up the center is not gonna jam my body. Now I've got the feeling that the ball's to the side of me. Now moving forward, you know, maybe on like a little bit of a curl route, I'll, I'll probably, at that at that point, I still don't think I go directly forward. I kind of curl off, because I'd rather bite off a little too much court and come back to the ball to ensure, yeah, there it is again. I'm obviously very tall, so I, I really make sure I get outside the center. So lucky. I think it.
4: <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, that's it for the three preview sessions for this week. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And I hope that you found those sessions very interesting. I know I did. And I mean, I'm I'm just so grateful because, you know, when I sit down to do these interviews and recordings, uh, I, I really enjoy them, you know. So even though I'm doing like 33, 35, whatever amounts of uh, recordings and live sessions, I really enjoyed and I learned so much. So one more time for today, I highly encourage you to ch- go straight to tennisfilesummit.com. That's T-E-N-N-I-S-F-I-L-E-S-S-U-M-M-I-T.com or TennisFiles.com slash summit. Click the grab your free ticket button. It says something like that anyway, and then you'll immediately get a free ticket to watch all the videos and... A free kick of course. So definitely do that. And uh, I'd also, of course, appreciate it if you subscribe to the Tennis Files podcast. Just hit the subscribe button in your podcast app of choice. And of course, as I often love to do, and as everyone knows by now, I would like to leave you with a quote. And today's quote is by Benjamin Spock. And Mr. Spock said, Trust yourself, you know more than you think you do. I love this quote, and this applies to... Not only what you can do, um, you know, broadly, but, you know, physically, as far as like your capacity for that and, uh, everything, you know, like we're amazing machines. I guess not, not machines, but, you know, we're just amazing, amazing beings and we have so many more, uh, levels that we can push towards and we know it. I mean, you hear about that every day where, you get um, a capable human being and who is pushed by a coach or another human being. And then they say, Wow, I didn't know that I could do that. I didn't know that it, they, I had it in me. Like, uh, there's no way that I could have ran a marathon, et cetera, or pushed so hard in that th- and do like that many sprints. But, you know, just trust yourself, have confidence, push yourself a little bit each day, and you're going to improve so much. So with that being said, I really appreciate you as always for all of your support and wonderful messages of encouragement and reviews and everything. So I'm looking forward to seeing you on the summit as well as on the next episode of the Tennis Files podcast. And I've got some great interviews lined up. I've got one of my favorite female tennis players on Instagram <laughs> that I... I've pretty much set up, I, w- I would say, that we're going to do an interview uh, in the near future, probably in a couple of weeks, maybe next month. So, um, in any case, uh, really looking forward to serving you and helping you improve your tennis game. Uh, wishing you all the best. And we'll see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files podcast. Take care, everyone.
2: Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.